0: Are you guys? You know, it's great. So I sat down. I don't think it was this full. And I've been facing this way. And so to get up and all of a sudden I see there's a lot of people in here. This is kind of fun. It's fun to see people kind of coming. Yeah, you can clap. That's all good. And we also want to continue to thank those who are online. Uh, we tried this one time. We're not going to try this again for a while too. we plan it out better. But we tried to get everybody to wave and it looked really awkward. So I'll just wave for y'all. Okay. Happy 4th of July. You guys, you don't know how to... Yeah, 4th of July, and it's what, 50 degrees outside? You're going, yeah, it is. We'll have to wait till next year. Hey, um, sorry about the weather, uh, for one. Nothing we could do about that. Um, but if, if history serves... Well, and the sun comes out, just as I say that, right? So if history serves, though, tell me... I mean, we'll, we'll make the most of it. Uh, I have yet to see... Uh, 4th of July get completely shut down, right? I mean, even last year, I have pictures on my phone that are of us down kind of by the beach with all, we're all masked and six feet distance and all that kind of stuff, but we're down by the beach and there are fireworks going off because last year you just couldn't stop. In fact, as I looked around the bay last year, there were probably more fireworks going off everywhere at the same time. It was like this war was going on, right? With fireworks. There's this picture that I have, a specific one that I have that I was thinking about as I was getting ready for this morning, and uh, there's this picture where a group of us are down, uh, kind of on the road by the beach, and we're all looking up, and there's this bright light that's shining on our faces, you know, as we're watching the fireworks, and you you zoom back just a little bit, and you realize because these weren't the professionals launching these off, right? These were just the amateurs of our neighborhood, so these things are going off right over our heads. I mean, it's so close. I mean, we're, every time we're getting showered by these sparks. This, this picture was taken just before the screaming and scattering started. You know, <laughs> that's how close they were. And um, you know, when you think about that, it, there, there are times you want to be close to things, right? There are times like at a petting zoo, you want to get close. At a, at a ball game, you want to be close, but not with explosives. I just want to tell you guys that for tonight, you know, you don't want to be front row too close to explosives. That just doesn't go well ever. You know, I was thinking about that because sometimes I think when we, when we think about who God is in our relationship with him, we think about him kind of like we think about, about those fireworks, Right? because we want that front row seat where we get to see all, the, all the, the pretty colors and all the stuff that he's doing, but we don't wanna get so close that he starts kind of messing with our lives, right? We kind of, kind of close enough. That's close enough, God, that's good enough. Um, today, we're gonna be looking at a story from the book of, of Matthew. It's gonna be in Matthew 8, 5 through 13. So if you have a Bible with you and you wanna open that up. Um, but in it, we find this man, And the story is about a guy who told Jesus, literally told him, he said, no, Jesus, I don't want you to come into my home. That's close enough. And yet, Jesus called him a man of great faith. Usually, we think that faith means pulling Jesus as close as he can get, hanging on. But in this case, he said, no, I don't even want you to come into my house. That's as far as you need to go. And yet, Jesus calls him a man of great faith. Intriguing, huh? So let's look at this story. It's in Matthew eight, chapter chapter eight, verse five through thirteen. If we could, let's stand. Uh, This is God's word we're about to hear. When Jesus entered the town of Capernaum, a Roman centurion came up to him, pleading with him, saying, "Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, tormented with pain." And Jesus said, "I will come and heal him." But the centurion said, "Lord, I am not worthy." For you to come under my roof, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those who were following him, Truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I tell you, that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of that kingdom, some of the sons of that kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, go, and it will be done for you just as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Just another everyday story in the life of Jesus. Right? This is what Jesus' life was like. But here was a guy who had, could have had Jesus into his home. He said, "No, you don't need to do that. I don't deserve to have you do that. Just speak the word today." This this message about this story from the life of Jesus. I'm calling it close enough close enough. It's a story about expectations. Father, uh, we want to ask that you would be here, that your, your Holy Spirit would take your word, that he would be uh, planting that, embedding it, weaving it in deeply within our thoughts and within our minds, within our hearts, not just in our conscious, but deeper even into the subconscious that it would shape us that it would, it would go in and like that sword that you said it is, that it, your word would trim off, would, it would make those divisions between those places that we didn't know were separate, that it would trim off all that, that, that excess, that fluff that, that we think is so important, but that all that would be left is that we would be made to be more like you, that our hearts, our thoughts, our perspectives, our, our intentions, our motivations would be more like Jesus, that when people would see our lives, they wouldn't see so much of us as they would see so much of him. So Father, that's the work you do. And you do that in this place. You do that through your spirit, through your word. You do that because you're here with us. Today, Father, we pray that you would be close enough, that we would let you be close enough to do your work. It doesn't matter where we are. We could be here in this, in this building, we could be at home in our homes, in our beds, and we could be at a different place in time, but Father, do this work. We pray it for your glory, we pray it for the name of your Son, Jesus, who has given everything, we pray it by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen, amen. You can be seated. When we lived in North Carolina, we had just moved into our our new home, and uh, one of the things I noticed is that I didn't have enough room for my uh, lawnmower and some of the outside tools and stuff like that. So immediately, I had to go out and uh, buy one of these sheds out at Home Depot. And to save some money, what I decided to do was I got one of these that you build yourself, because how hard can that be, right? (laughs) So... It comes with all, it says it comes with all the supplies. It has the instructions, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, so here we go. And so I, I started getting at it and and I got the, the the floor piece together and I got it kind of propped up and leveled on some cinder blocks, you know, and I, I started, some of the walls are already kind of put together. So you're just figuring out how to get them to stand up while you're getting the other pieces attached. And and so I'm going at this thing, well, regularly in these instructions, it would say, Make sure that the that the floor that the walls you know everything that is level that is leveled is kind of this way plumbed this way, and then it is square with each other and so I, I'd be going through there, okay okay you know. Uh, very loosely following these instructions, you know. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You know, you're looking. Okay, okay, yeah, I got it. So leveled, and I kind of get the level out there. Yeah, that's good enough. You know, close enough. And then you know the plumb. Yeah, yeah, that's that's close enough. And then the, the square part. You know, and you're getting your measurement. Yeah, that, that got it. Well, the one big lesson that I learned that day <laughs> was if you start out a little bit off square, a little bit off level, a little bit off plumb down in the bottom, by the time you get to the top, things are really kind of wacky, you know? And so, you know, the roof worked in the end and it looked okay as long as we like kept this shed, shoved back in the woods, but probably not the most, you know, square plumb level thing that you've ever seen. Because sometimes, you guys know what I'm talking about, sometimes close enough isn't right, and all of us have those kind of stories. All of us have stories about where close enough wasn't close enough. Maybe it was you were walking up the steps to your, you know, to your porch, and you just you thought that that step was a little bit lower. You thought you were close enough, and you weren't, right? Or, or maybe you were out on the beach and, and the water's starting to come in and you want to take a walk down the beach so you pull, your, you pull your chairs a little bit further up the beach, you know, and you thought you were good enough, you thought that was close enough, you walk down the beach, you come back and they're floating away. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking. Sometimes close enough just isn't close enough. And one of the things that God wants us to know about our relationship with him, about building our life with him, he's not asking us to aim at close enough. Because a lot of times that's not close enough. There's another way that I think that more often, though, we think about what it means to be close enough in our relationship with God. And we have questions where we say, well, what does it mean? How close does God have to be to have my life improved, right? Because a lot of times, like those fireworks, we want God close enough but not too close because then he starts messing messing with stuff, right? So we're like, how close does God have to be? How close do I need to be to God that he starts working, that I start seeing the effects? And what does it even mean? What does that even mean to be close to God? How does that happen? What does that look like? In our story, uh, we have the centurion. Now, you need to know that the centurion, he was a Roman army officer. He was, a, it was an officer that oversaw about 80 men, 80 soldiers, and he was a Roman. He would have been solidly Roman. He would have been raised in the Roman ways. So he would have been a worshiper of the Roman gods like Zeus and like Apollo. He would have been raised to believe that the only thing that was worthwhile was the glory of Rome. And he was also, he was part of this occupying force in Judea. He was part of this force, this army, this large, massive force that suppressed and oppressed the people and just made life miserable for the Jewish people. So the Jewish people tended to hate men like this. But we find a little bit uh, more background about this particular centurion. We look in the, the book of Luke, and it says that this man was actually on pretty good terms with the, with the local Jewish leaders in Capernaum because he had financed the building of a synagogue for these people, for this group. Not because he was a, a Jew himself, but because he was, he, he, he was somehow drawn into. He was somehow um, brought close to this God through watching what they and, and hearing what they believed and seeing how they lived out their lives. And so he had financed this building of their place of worship. And so we, we see that and we're like, well, this guy, there's something different about that guy. There weren't many centurions doing this in occupied lands and other places. So there was something different. And then we look at the scope of all of the stories of Jesus' life, and we find out that there was something very different, very unique about this guy. Because in all of the Gospels, in all of the stories of Jesus' life, there are two times that it says Jesus was amazed. Now, there were a lot of times that people were amazed at Jesus, but there were two times that Jesus was amazed. One of them was right here. He heard the words of this man, and it says Jesus was astounded. He was taken aback. The other time that Jesus is amazing, and I want you to, to kind of keep this story in the back of your mind because we're using it as a backdrop for the story we're looking about, uh, about this centurion. But the other story is in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6. Jesus goes home to his hometown in Nazareth, and he goes home to, to also teach there, also do some miracles there. Now, Nazareth was this kind of blue-collar worker town. It was a town of workers who helped out with different projects that Herod had gone on. And so it was kind of a rough place. It was kind of just just a somewhat economically suppressed kind of a place as well. But he went home, and when he went home to preach and to heal in that place, faithful Jewish people, but they turned to him and they said, oh yeah, that's just Jesus, right? He, he grew up here. We know his family. We watch him. There's nothing special about him. In fact, it says that at one point they even got offended at him for saying what he said. And because of that, it said that in Mark 6, it says that he could not do much. He could only heal a couple of people. <laughs> you know, Every time I read that, I think, man, if we had a couple of people healed in one day... That'd be like a banner year. That wouldn't even be like a banner. But that, for Jesus, that was a bad day. And he says he couldn't do much. He could only heal a couple of people. And it says there in Mark 6, chapter uh, 6, verse 6, it says, he was amazed at their unbelief. So two times that Jesus is amazed. One time he is amazed by faith that was found where it shouldn't be found the other is by the lack of faith in those in whom it should be found. I was thinking about then, I was thinking, you know, I think Jesus probably is still amazed at times. He's still amazed at faith where it shouldn't be found and the lack of faith sometimes where it should be. Because I know that there are some of you, some of you who are here, some of you who are at home, who are listening to this, and, and you you trust Jesus in ways that your history says there is no way you should trust Jesus like that. You weren't weren't raised on these stories. You weren't raised being told all your life how how much God loved you, and yet you still believe in him, and not just believe in him, but you believe him. You believe him when he says, you know what, I love you more than you can ever imagine. You believe him when he tells you that he has, through Jesus, he has made you his own. You believe him when he says, you know what, because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, I've taken every barrier that stood between you and me and I've just leveled it. There's nothing that stands between us anymore. And you believe him. You believe that he will always take care of you. You believe that he will hear your prayers. You even believe that he will hear and answer those prayers that are just crazy. Those impossible things that you throw to him. On the other hand, some of us have grown up in the church, right? We've grown up in the church. We've been around this so much. We could, we could tell you these stories word for word without ever thinking about what they mean. That's how close we are. I mean, we've grown up with Jesus. It's like growing up in the same, in the same town. We've grown up so close to Jesus, we don't even think twice about him sometimes. We don't go to God first. A lot of times we try everything we can do and then we try and go to Jesus kind of as a last resort. Yeah, if I can't get it done, there's always Jesus. Maybe he can do something about it. And because of that, there are times I think that those of us who we think are the closest don't see Jesus do much in our lives because we stand so far away from him. And in both of these things, it says that Jesus is amazed. He's astounded. You have the one guy who should be the furthest away, who is actually close enough because he believes what Jesus says about who he is. You have the others who should be the closest, who are so far away, Jesus can't even touch them with all of his power, with all of his grace, with all of his love. He can't even reach them. So what is it that got in the way of this home crowd, right? What got in the way of the home crowd? What was the thing that enabled this centurion who you wouldn't you wouldn't imagine but what enabled him to actually get close enough to Jesus, Well, probably the same things that get in our way at times. The same things that can either bring us closer or can pull us away from Jesus is things like our assumptions. It seems like our, our conclusions about how God works. Is things like our expectations about how God should do things. And when he doesn't meet those, how we get disappointed and we, we, we're driven off and we wander off from him. The people in Jesus' hometown, think about it. They were assuming that because they lived in such close proximity, proximity. Somehow that had, they just were aware of everything that could possibly know, be known about Jesus. They, they were sure that they were on that level that they could evaluate. They could just look and evaluate and tell you, yeah, I, 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 can, I can be the one that judges and can tell you whether what he says about himself, whether it's true or not. They were also, they had this expectation. And I want you to think about this one. They had the expectation that if God were really with them, wouldn't their lives be going better? They had this expectation that, you know, if God were really with us, if Jesus were really the Messiah, wouldn't our town have been lifted up to greater prominence in this? Wouldn't we be more successful? Wouldn't wouldn't life be a bit easier? Wouldn't we have more power, more influence, maybe more affluence? Wouldn't we be in a better place than we are? But because we're not, because we have these expectations, that's how God should be working so when Jesus comes and he shows up in a different way, they say, yeah, that's not what we expected. And they said, so yeah, that can't possibly be him. And I think we do that, don't we? We, we stand there with our, with our experience that we look back on our lives and we say, well, if God were really God, and if he really loved me, my life would go a whole, a whole lot differently. We go with our logic. We say, if God were really God, then he would have, he would have put this together and this together, because that's how I would have thought it out. So when the opportunity comes where we can actually give something to God, we can actually bring it to him, we don't. Because because of our expectations, because of our logic and our assumptions, we, we assume we assume that God can't possibly do that. We, we know better than to think that God would work in that way because he hasn't done it so far. So instead, in Mark, I, I want you to think about this piece too. In Mark, it says that um, Jesus was only to, he able to heal a few. What it implies is that there were a whole lot of other people he could have healed, but what kept them away? Was it that Jesus didn't want to heal them? No. It was those expectations, those assumptions that made them not even go to him, not even go like the centurion and chase him down, seek him out, and even present their request to him. said, nah, I don't believe God works that way. I'm not even going to try it. And so only a few. Centurion, on the other hand, think about him. I mean, he had every reason to question what he was doing there, right? Here he is, he's appealing to a, a, a teacher, a, a holy man of a, of a deity he doesn't even believe in. He had been raised believing in Apollo and, and, and Zeus. These are the ones that you approach. If you want healing, you go offer a sacrifice in a certain way in their glorious temples, the glorious temples of Rome that Rome had set up. But instead he goes to this, to this, this holy man who's rejected even by his hometown, he says, I think you can help me, right? And what's he going to say to his troops, right? He's supposed to be this, this centurion, this model for his troops about how Romans live, about how Roman soldiers act. And he goes and he seeks out this other God. He was under a lot of pressure, a lot of reasons not to go to Jesus, The final one, and I think this one has everything to do with us. Why would this Jewish God even listen to him? Here he stands. He has blood on his hands. He's a Roman soldier, not just any soldier. He is a centurion. He's worked his way up where he is overseeing other soldiers. He probably has Jewish blood on his hands. He has killed the people that belong to this God he's appealing to. He knows he's he's been close enough to these Jewish people to know he's broken all this God's rules. Why would this God ever listen to him? And how many times do we do that too? And we go to God and we say, God, I don't even know why you would listen to me. And so we walk away. I've broken all your rules. I've offended you. I've offended every person that loves you. I have spit at you. I have said, I have no reason to need you. Why would I have returned to you? But instead, what the centurion does, he simply took what Jesus said about himself. When Jesus said, you know what? Come, everyone who labors, everyone who's heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He took it at face value. He said, okay, I'm going. He took the stories of what others had said about what Jesus had done in their lives and he said, I, I'm gonna believe that that is true. So he believed those stories. He, he brought his request, and he humbly went to Jesus with all that he knew about how life seemed to work outside. He said, you know what? I too am a man under authority. So I know how these things work. And I don't, I don't need you to come to my house. I don't deserve for you to come to my house. This is close enough. You can do what you need to do here. Believe what you say about who you are. And he ends up making this more accurate evaluation about Jesus than the people that had lived with him all of his life up to that point. It says Jesus was amazed. Amazed. You guys, we need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when it comes to what God can do and what God longs to do in our lives, that God is always, always, always close enough. Close enough. He's always, it's not not a matter of him, he's always close enough. Why? Because of the power that he has to do anything, anywhere, at any time. He has the authority and the power to do anything. He's always close enough. Because of the love that he has for us, for each and every one of us, the love that keeps us framed and targeted with his love, that love that says it compels him towards us, like a father is compelled towards his own children, that love, he is always close enough. He's close enough because of the grace that says, even with every offense, any offense will be forgiven if we would just ask any barrier would be would be cleared out and laid low if we would just ask he's always close enough question is are we close enough to him what does that even mean What does it mean to be close enough to God? Well, from these stories, it's it's obvious it's not that we're religious enough. It's it's obviously not about doing all the right things. It's it's obviously not about keeping all his rules because on the one hand, you had his hometown crowd. They were religious enough. They were holy enough. In fact, they saw themselves within the rules that they held. They were clean. And this guy was so unclean, he would never be clean in God's sight. So it's not about that. When we come to God, we can't let it be about whether we're good enough to go to God. That's not what brings us near. Well, maybe it's that we know enough about God. Maybe it's whether we 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 can quote every verse in the Bible, or or maybe this is because we've we've been raised in in church and we know all the stories and we've been taught theology from the time we were young. No, again, his that's in in Jewish kind of tradition. They would raise their children. They could quote most of the Old Testament by the time they were in their thirties. They were they knew the stuff. They knew the theology, but still, that hadn't brought them any closer. And here's this, this, this Roman centurion doesn't know the first thing about, about God. So no, it's not about that. So what is it? What is it? And this is what we need to ask. What is it that brought this man close enough? What is it that brings us close enough to God that he can do his work, that his, his power is released? We see him move in our lives. First thing was that the centurion, he believed. He believed. He trusted. He believed. He believed what Jesus said about himself. He believed what he had heard. Do you notice that, that in this story, he calls him Lord. He calls Jesus Lord. Now, in, in, uh, in Judaism, the word Lord and what was translated as Lord into the Greek was translated from the Hebrew. And the, it's a word Adonai. It means Lord. And it was a replacement word for God's name, Yahweh. They wouldn't speak that name. Instead, they'd replace it with Lord, I respect for that name. Is that what he's saying? No, I don't think. He's Roman. He doesn't know all that. You know what he's saying? By saying, Lord, he's saying, I don't know a whole lot about you, but I can tell you are far superior to me. In fact, in, in my framework, I think there are not only great men among us, but I think I also believe that there are sometimes gods that walk among us, and I believe you might be one of them. I'm a centurion, but you are Lord. Compared to me, you are vastly superior and I don't fully understand all that you are, but what I do understand, I believe. And I believe you can help me. How many times do we pray that prayer? How many times do we pray a humble prayer like that that says, God, I, I don't know everything about you. But what I do know, I believe, and I trust, and I, I believe that you can help me. Because God says that that may not be a perfect prayer. That may not be, you know, a pristine prayer, but that that prayer to God, that's close enough. It's close enough. That's the prayer that He says he responds to. God, everything, I don't know a lot, but what I do know, I believe. And I believe that you are the one who loves me and can help me. So show your power, show your grace, speak that word. Lord, help me. Second thing this guy did is he acted on what he believed, right? Where, where his own hometown, where they had just kind of gone, ah, yeah, whatever, and they walked away. This guy, instead, he, he sought Jesus out. He, he chased him down. He bowed down and he, he begged him. He pleaded with him and he made his request. You guys, that was faith at work, that he would seek Jesus out. He, you have to, you act on faith. That's how faith is seen. So he chased Jesus down. He made his request. And then after he made his request, he waited to hear what, what Jesus had to say. Sometimes we get almost like, it's like as Jesus pondered what he said, he's ah, oh, forget it. I knew this was a bad idea. And he walks away. How many times do we leave too early? And what, if, what if Jesus would have said no? Have you ever read those stories in the other stories about Jesus where Jesus seems to kind of turn the person down? seems to say, yeah, not now. You don't, you know, it's not, this isn't for you. And what does the person do? Well, most of the time, the ones that are recorded, and the reason they're recorded is the person keeps pushing, says, yeah, I don't deserve this. I don't, but, but you're the one who can help me. I still, by faith, because I know you're the only one that can help, and they continue to press in, and, and, and that what seems to be a rejection is really just to draw out how deep that faith is, so that then, and then that, that answer is turned. But how many times we are are kind of shallow faith. We say, ah, that's as much as I I don't, I don't need this mess. I'm just going to move on. I'm going to try something else. But he acts on his faith. And then finally, when God, when Jesus does pronounce the word, he says, okay, it's done. He believes it. Good. Thank you. He Goes home. (laughs) He didn't even see what happened yet. He says, okay, in faith. So do we, do we do that? Do we seek Jesus out? Do we seek Jesus out as the first option rather than our, our last resort? Do we wait? Do we wait? Do we press in until we hear his answer? Until we have clarity on what he's going to do? And once we hear that, do we believe him? Do we rest in the assurance that he will he will do what he said he's going to do, because he is who he said he is? You guys, the third thing is this, and it's it's a it's a bigger is is probably, but it comes out of a different story. It's a story about another centurion. But if we want to know what it means to God, what's close enough as far as God's concerned comes out of this story. It's in the book of Acts. It's a centurion named um, centurion named Cornelius. Now he was he was a lot like the centurion in Capernaum, except um, by this time Jesus he had already died. He had risen. He had gone to heaven. And so he heard God speak, and God said, "You need to seek out not Jesus, but seek out his disciple Peter." So he, he sends to Peter, and Peter goes because he says, "Well, God, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here." but okay, we're gonna show up because you called me here. And so he starts telling Cornelius and his whole family, he starts telling them about Jesus. And as he's speaking, it says the Holy Spirit's just poured out, just poured out and and fills the house, fills Cornelius, fills his whole household. And you guys, if you wanna know, what God thinks about, what God is aiming for when he says, this is close enough, is that. It's not just that he stands at a distance and speaks a word that changes our circumstances. Is that he would pour himself in us, invade our lives and totally transform everything about us. That's close enough. That's close enough for God. God is not satisfied until we're in a relationship with him that we just can't even escape from, that we can't escape from his love, that we can't escape from his power, that we can't escape from his forgiveness, that we can't get away from his goodness and the way he targets us and protects us and holds us and walks beside us. He's not satisfied until he feels, yeah, that's that's close enough. So do we let Jesus, <laughs> have you let Jesus completely invade you, completely just saturate your life from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, from the deepest part of the, your innermost thoughts to the outermost actions of, of it, the influence that you have? Have you let Jesus just, just saturate, just completely fill your life? Because he says that's... <laughs> that, that's close enough. Do we believe? Do we act on that belief? But does that belief and that action, does it really come from the fact that the presence of God just lives within us? You guys, we don't want to let our assumptions and our expectations cause us to turn away. All of our brilliant thinking cause us to turn away from the God who said, you know what, I have come to teach and to heal and to shape and to redeem and to restore. I've come to change everything, to, to make it everything that you have ever deep, your deepest desire. I have come to meet that. We don't want to miss that because we're, we're ready to settle for, ah, that's close enough. When God says, no, that's not, by no means is that close enough. Instead of turning away like his, like his hometown did and continuing to, to live in that darkness and that brokenness and that despair that are ours without him, he says, no, come like that centurion, not based on what you bring, Not based on your credentials, but based on the fact that I am here. I'm here to be found. I'm here to be known. Come with faith so that you will be amazed by Jesus, so that he will be amazed by you. Amen?